um, I'm reading today from Psalm 1. It's on page 532 in the blue hymnal that's in the uh, back of the pews there. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Well, good morning. My name's Josh. Oh, I forgot my water bottle. You might grab my water bottle. My name's Josh. I'm pastor here. It's a joy to gather with you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Harrison, for blessing us with your story. What a, what a gift. That was beautiful. And, uh, and you know, we, we pray at 8.30 uh, on Sunday mornings, a few of us in the, in the lounge. Y'all are welcome. And we, we prayed before last Sunday, before our prayer gathering that we had in this time, uh, for something like that to happen. So it's just a joy to see God answer prayer, and we're so excited to have you, have you with us, Harrison. Um, well, we're beginning a series uh, through the Psalms that will take us to, to Easter. We just finished up a time of prayer, a, a three-week three series of prayer, 21 days of prayer, kind of looking at prayer generally. And uh, prayer is a focus for us as a church family here in this season of life together. And I, I just think it's a beautiful thing that God, in his manifold wisdom, uh, right in the middle of our Bible, gave us the longest book of the Bible, of the Psalms, and it's prayers. They, they, are, they are prayers, songs, poems that are all prayers uh, to, be, uh, to be read, rehearsed, prayed, learned from. Uh, we've talked about this uh, before, but prayer is one of those things that you can only really learn by doing it. Uh, prayer is like learning a language where uh, you, you just got to try, stumble forward, make mistakes, hear from other people, and imitate what you hear. And so the Psalms stand as kind of God's prayer book, uh, the, the prayer book of God's people. And the beautiful thing about uh, a prayer book, the beautiful thing uh, about the Psalms being in our scriptures, uh, is that we aren't like the first Jesus followers in human history, Generally, and we're not, and we can join with other Jesus followers, our God's people, throughout millennia in praying the Psalms. Like these, these prayers in in the the book of the Psalms have been sung, said, uh, memorized, murmured, whatever you could do with with written words it has been done by God's people for for thousands of years, and and most importantly, it's what was done by Jesus. Uh, when you look at the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life, the, the number one uh, book of the Bible that Jesus quotes and refers to are the Psalms. He quotes it more than any other book of the Bible. And he even quotes the Psalm, Psalm 22, while he was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And I think it's a powerful moment that shows the, the role that the Psalms can play in our lives. Like in those moments where it feels like we're dying, where we don't know what to say, we can fall back onto the prayers of Jesus, the prayers of, of Scripture in, in the Psalms. It's an incredible, incredible gift that God has given us, I, a, a gift that I have, have unwrapped and used many times in my life, you know, in, in the pit, in the dark night, you know, of the soul, or in a literal dark night where I can't sleep and I have no more thoughts, no more words of my own to just write a psalm out, pray, pray the words of Scripture back to God, answer God with, with his word as such, a comfort and refuge. But today, I, w- I want to start with Psalm 1 and 2 because they kind of set the, set the stage for the Psalms. They kind of set, set our expectation and also prepare us for how to pray the Psalms. The Psalms were compiled. Uh, they, it's not just a random collection of 150, uh, 150 Psalms, but they were, they were put together in a structure, in a, in a purpose, and Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of like the gate. They're like pillars or archway of the gate, and they prepare us and show us how, uh, what we need to do ourselves in order to receive the Psalms uh, for everything that they are. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Today is kind of like a ramp up, you know, to the, to the Psalms. Uh, I invite you, last year we kind of were like, hey, let's camp out in the Gospel of Mark or the Gospels all year. Like, I'd invite you to consider 2024 to be the year of the Psalms. I mean, we're going to preach about other things too, but just, you know, it's nice to take a, a, chunk, a chunk of the Bible and uh, soak in it for a year and just kind of uh, every day read through it, read through a few. The thing that, the first thing that we see in the Psalms is the first word. Look at verse one. Blessed. Blessed is the one. That's kind of the first part of our pillar in Psalm 1 and 2. Look at the last verse of Psalm 2, in Psalm 2, verse 12. Blessed are all. So the kind of two pillars that we're walking through into this journey of reading, praying, meditating on the Psalms is one of blessing. This is why the Psalms exist. They exist to bless us. And this idea of blessing is, is woven all throughout the story of scriptures. It's obviously right here in the Psalms, kind of the, the pinnacle, the intro of Jesus' main teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Be, begin with it, the blessednesses, the beatitudes, blessed are, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, all, all those things. This idea of blessedness is core to being God's people, receiving blessing. And so the Psalms exist to bless us. But let's finish those two, two phrases. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. And the end of uh, Psalm 2, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The interesting thing about this blessedness is that what Psalm 1 and 2 are saying is that there's some element of choice up to us, that we are going to choose where we walk, where we stand, where we sit, what we delight in, what we meditate on day and night, and we get to choose what we take refuge in. And it's a, it's a choice that God has given all of us of like what we are going to do. And to put, a, to put a finer point on it, I believe Psalm 1 and 2, put it in a word. 
The invitation from Psalm 1 and 2 uh, is to carefully manage our attention. This is the, the main idea. That, uh, praying the Psalms or just prayer in general requires us to carefully manage our attention, what we give our attention to. This is like maybe the, the primary act of our agency or our, our will as a human is what we give our attention to and to manage our, our attention. Let's talk about Legos for a minute. I'm going to tie this in, I promise. Uh, I have a six-year-old son named Johnny who's super into Legos now, and, which has revived my love for Legos. And uh, Legos are these little plastic blocks you can build. I don't think I need to unpack this. Everybody knows what Legos are. And, uh, and we, have, um, we had this, like, bench, this uh, counter in our basement that I, we, like, donated to Johnny's, uh, Johnny's work, workspace uh, for Legos. And I got him, like, a, 10 pounds of Legos on Facebook Marketplace. And, you know, and, and so we just we have this Lego workstation. And, and it, it is so fun to go down there in the basement with my son, like, I'm on Sabbath on my day off, and just, like, calmly, quietly build something together. Uh, obviously, it's fun to like follow directions, but like next level is to have just a big mass of Legos, right? And then just find pieces. And we're just like looking through the pieces, trying to find that perfect one. Uh, it's just a sweet thing, just being present to my son, present to uh, the project that we're doing, talking about what we want to build. It's just, it's so fun. Uh, and so for my son Johnny's sixth birthday, I thought, hey, let's go to Legoland. It's like this event, this, this thing you pay to go to at Easton. Thinking, I mean, in my mind, Legoland is like a way bigger, more fun version of our basement Legoland. It's like, you know, it's like our, our basement work, Lego workshop, you know, it'll be way more pieces, cooler pieces. It's going to be fun. We'll just get lost, you know, uh, on his birthday with all this fun stuff. And so you can imagine my disappointment when we walk into Legoland and the first thing that we see was this like roller coaster video game thing where you get in this little cart and it scoots you from screen to screen where you shoot Lego zombies with a gun. No Legos in sight, just pictures of Legos that we're shooting with a gun. And Johnny's just like, what is happening right now? And we're not a big video game family, so it was like kind of new to him. And I was like, that's weird. And then you go downstairs and, you walk, and the first thing you see is this virtual reality thing where you sit in this little like pod and you put things over your eyes and it like shakes and and stuff like that and then there was like a cafe to buy food and then there's this spinny carnival ride all lego themed had pictures of legos on it and then there was a little movie theater that said it was 4d which meant it like spit water at you i don't, I don't know you had to wear glasses and you spit water at you and sorry if you like Legoland. I'm really going to trounce Legoland, so you just don't want to prepare yourself for it. And then there's one spot, like off in the corner, where they had some cool racetracks and some bins of Legos where you can make a race car and, you know, try it out on the test track or whatever. And so after, like, seeing all this other stuff, we finally get to the Legos. I'm like, here we are, Johnny. Let's build, it. Let's build a Lego. What do you think my six-year-old son said? No, I want to go shoot the zombies or, you know, I want to see a movie again. Like, at one point, it was just me and two other dads building Legos while our kids were just, like, running around. Because <laughs> kids, kids were so distracted by all the glitz and the glam and the shiny lights. And I tell that story because it's parallel. It's a metaphor. If prayer is enjoying building a Lego masterpiece, quietly, calmly, grounded in the moment, focused on what you're doing, present to the people you're with, Pretty much the way of the world is everything else. Virtual reality and movies that spit at you. It's just, you know, just loud sounds and sh shining lights. And you know, it's just 
distraction. And, and to work this metaphor a little bit more, I think when I, and I think past, this is my pastoral cry for, for us, or the desire, my ache for you, uh, for us, is that I think a lot of us, like if, if all of life was Legoland, and like the, the little corner of Legos is like church, is like our walk with God, we feel just this magnetic pull to all these other attractions or, or distractions, and we just live with guilt. I should spend more time at the test track. I should spend more time building with Legos. But, it, but everything about the way our lives are set up is a distraction and just, and just flusters our attention to where the slow, quiet, calm, present work of prayer becomes really hard or impossible. And what I'm saying is that I, I want to answer the question, why don't I actually care about prayer or the Bible or God or anything? And it's because we, you might be living in Legoland. Like your life might be set up where Legoland, where there's this tiny corner of God stuff and everything else is distracting and loud and kind of overpowers, it overstimulates to where the God stuff becomes unappealing. What I'm saying is that there's a, there's a, a posture of heart or just like a, a presence of mind that prayer requires. And this is what uh, Psalm 1 and 2 invite us into today. Uh, it, it is cultivating our attention, managing our attention in such a way that, it, that prayer pops. Uh, the first time I experienced this was when I was backpacking for like days on end by myself. And all I had with me was a Bible. So I'd like you know, hike all day and then set up camp and, and read the Bible. And like two days in, I was like, the, the Bible was blowing my mind because there was nothing else. It was beautiful nature and the Bible. We, the way we cultivate our lives is going to determine how we experience God, how we experience prayer, the degree to which we enjoy it. So let's dive in. That's, uh, that's my desire in talking about attention. It's not to like guilt monger us or to bring any condemnation, but hopefully to, if you feel like guilty because you feel like you should be praying more, should be doing more God stuff, and you don't really want to if you're honest, uh, that, that we will see some tools that we have to begin to cultivate our attention, cultivate the presence of mind to be present to God. So, first part. Psalm 1 kind of looks inward, looks at our, our inner life, our inner desires, says the, the blessed one is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it, meditates on his law night and day. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. It's a beautiful image here that we have of someone who chooses what? There's, and this is a pattern all throughout Scripture. Chooses to, to separate from the world, doesn't stand, sit, or walk with the sinners, mockers, and wicked. There's like this removal, this, this separation, and then there's, and then there's a, the active. There's the negative and then the positive, and then the positive is to delight in God's law, meditate on his law day and night. So we got to talk about the word law here. The word law, because, you know, hey, we're about, we're about relationship, not rules. You know, it's all about grace and, you know, all the stuff about law. For the sake of our discussion here, God's law, just think God's reality. Think God's definition of good and evil. Where God defines what's good, God defines what's evil. Or to put in a word, truth. Capital T, glorious, life-rooting, grounding, stabilizing, Truth. That's what we're called to, to delight in. 
and meditate on day and night. This word meditate, I just want to acknowledge, meditate's a biblical word, biblical concept. It's kind of on trend, and you know, and other religions refer to it. But I think what we see here is that biblical meditation or meditation in the way of King Jesus is, is a little bit different than worldly meditation. And I think meditation generally is positive. I think quieting yourself, being aware of what you're thinking and feeling is generally going to bear fruit. Uh, but whereas worldly meditation often is about this emptying, emptying our minds kind of just to get to an emptiness, Biblical meditation is, does have some element of emptying, of being aware of what's going on, but for the sake of being filled up by God. To where we, 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 there can be less of us and less of our crazy anxiety spirals, speaking for a friend, and more of God, more of God's law, God's reality, the def, God's truth, the definition of what God said is true, good, and beautiful. The Hebrew word for meditate uh, can, can also mean like to murmur or mutter, to ponder, or even to growl. So this is like, gives us connotations of like a song getting stuck in your head, you know, where you're just kind of like, mm-hmm, you're just mumbling it, murmuring it, singing it under your breath. It's so like in your mind and in your heart, it's just like kind of coming, coming out. This is, what, this is what scripture calls us to do in terms of God's truth, God's reality. His word, yes, but just his general uh, look, outlook on reality for it just be, becomes like part of us. And then to even put a different spin on it, uh, our, the word meditate in English comes from a Latin root uh, where we also get mastication. Vocab time. What's mastication mean? Chewing. Wow, you guys, you guys know your words including Rick back there. Uh, yeah, chewing, which is another beautiful, it's like we're murmuring, we're chewing, we're just kind of like, you know, and, and what this is is steak. Like picture like the best steak you've ever had. Steak, you gotta, we gotta work at it. You gotta, you gotta use your jaw muscles and chew it because you're savoring it. It's like meaty and satisfying and, and it has what you need, uh, but it's not cotton candy. Like it doesn't just melt in your mouth and like, pop your dopamine, you know, sugar receptors or, or, or whatever. Like, you got to chew on it and work on it. And this kind of goes, is like another metaphor to Legoland. Like, if we're used to cotton candy, that level of stimulation, that level of ease of digestion, then when we come to the steak of God's word, it's, it's not going to taste good. That's why, like, kids, when they're young and they're immature, they like cotton candy, pixie sticks, more than a fancy steak. And we grow in, we are a cultivator taste to grow into maturity. And there's just clear here in Psalm 1 that there is a fork in the road. Verse 6 says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's a way we have to pick. And, and I want to dial it down to attention, because I, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of like the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. You know, we, we, we could think of like the extremes, like we got missionaries and then we got like meth dealers or something like that. But what it says is what we give our attention to. What marks the way of the righteous is someone who is meditating, chewing on, murmuring, muttering, so rooted in God's reality that it becomes them. They become like a tree planted by streams of water, a tree where, where the roots are growing down deep and the, and the nutrients and water from the ground are like becoming the actual substance of the tree where God's word becomes like in us and part of our, part of our body, the the, the, the Fork in the road is what you will give your attention to. 
So if Psalm 1 is about uh, our attention in terms of this inner, inner, inner life, what we give our attention to, Psalm 2 draws us to the outward. How do we think about our attention when it comes to the world? Look at verses uh, 1 through 3 in Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. So this, this passage here is taking from this like beautiful picture of a tree and us meditating by ourselves or maybe with some church family, and then it's putting it in the context of the chaos of human history, of wars, of rulers, uh, kings rising up, rulers banding together against God and his anointed king. And I think, I hope we can feel seen and loved by God through his word right here. Like, it is so realistic. Because you, you might be here at church, like Amy shared, you know, you're here at church, you're, you're singing songs with the saints, you're hearing testimonies, like, you walk out and it's great. But then you turn on the news and it's not so great. And everything seems hopeless again. Like, like how do we take this, this idea of a flourishing tree rooted and grounded in God's reality and then, and then live in a world that's so full of chaos where things seem so wrong? Well, again, it comes back to our attention. Look at verse 4. After looking at all, oh, sorry, let me set it up. Well, after looking at all the, the evil kings and the nations and the rulers and everybody rising up against to break chains and throw off shackles, verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. So coming out of Psalm 1, we're so rooted in God's reality, who he says he is, what he says about human history, what he says about what is righteous and what is wicked. And we see, we see the news, we see the chaos of human history, and we see God enthroned above it all, laughing. The most powerful rulers humans have ever seen, God, the Lord, scoffs at them. Verse five, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. We see in God's story what is the most true thing in God's reality, God's truth, is that while the rulers of the earth are, are scheming and conspiring, and, or one translation says raging, while the nations rage, we see God laughing and setting his king on the throne. The language in this psalm is all about the Messiah. Messiah literally means anointed one, which is what Israel called their kings. And it is the term that Jesus is revealed to be. All the anointed kings throughout God's people, the history of God's people, Israel and Judah, all are, were all little mini messiahs, all that all failed. They didn't live up to be the one true Messiah that point us to Jesus. And so what we see here is that the story of God, God's reality, the story of, of God sending Jesus to be the one true king on his throne is, is what roots us and grounds us in the midst of the chaos of, of human history, of just being a human in a fallen and broken world. 
Look what verse 9 says. Actually, let's start at verse 8. Ask me, this is uh, God speaking uh, to the anointed king, to Jesus, uh, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I just got to poke a little fun at Christian culture here. Missions people love this verse. Ask me and I'll give you the nations. And they'd never read verse 9, which is a little harsher, because that's not what they're talking about. Uh, verse 9, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So we're living in God's reality. We see God enthroned above it all. We see him placing his Messiah, his one true king on the earth, on the holy mountain in Jerusalem, and that he will come as the righteous judge and will vanquish evil, will shatter evil, break them with a rod of iron, dash them to pieces. Verse 10 says, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. This is, this is the posture that we must have, rooted in, the, in Psalm 1, rooted in, in our attention and God's reality. And this is the, the lens by which we see, see, see reality, see the news, see the, the election, see all the things that keep us up at night. And again, the, the reason why we're taking this time before we launch into this season of, of praying the Psalms together uh, is because if the Psalms feel dry to you, consider the degree to which you're living in God's reality. The, the main idea, the main invitation is to manage our, your attention carefully. Manage your attention carefully. I'm like really trying to hold myself back because there's so much to say around attention, both like broad and broader culture and then also within Christian culture. And the reason I'm talking about attention is because we all have it. We all have to decide where to put it. And if you are not managing your attention, then the fact is you are the only one. <laughs> you are the only one not actively trying to manage your attention. We live in the attention economy now with our phones, with the screens everywhere, where the most powerful companies in human history are employing the smartest people that our civilization has produced in order to monetize your attention. And I kind of wonder if it's because they've read the Bible. Jesus says in uh, Matthew 6, so we pull up here, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you, within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I've rarely heard this verse, pre, verse preached about, but I think it's so profound. This is like rabbi wisdom from King Jesus right here. Uh, what we put our eyes on fills our whole body, defines our life. And so it makes sense that companies out to make money. Like if we can control what is entering their eyeballs, we will control people's lives. There's all kinds of like non-Christian content out there, like the Social Dilemma documentary that, that, that's out there. Uh, people, there, there's like people who, that call themselves like uh, digital ethicists now, you know, because there's all this stuff that's where our current state of our economy rooted in our attention is running away with people's souls. We have to carefully manage our attention. <clears throat> I, I have an older friend uh, I get coffee with once a, once a month. Uh, he's in his late 70s, and 
he told me something uh, that he's experienced that I've also experienced uh, in, in, in other churches, which is this phenomenon where he, as a longtime Jesus follower, with friends who have been longtime Jesus followers, he's seen this thing happen where these godly, kind saints, these godly people deeply involved in church, former pastors, former missionaries, have now become like so hardened, so like overly politicized that he's like, I can't even hang out with them anymore. Like their, their Facebook feeds are just full of outrage and like inflammatory language. It's like, I don't know what happened. That was not how they were when I, when I knew them, when we were doing ministry together. And there's just this sneaky thing that happens that if we aren't careful with just the way our life works, the degree to which we have to be on our phones to, to function, that if we are not careful, if we're not managing our attention, then our phones and the evil overlords that program them will do it for us and it will change your life. What you put before your eyes will change what you love and what you're passionate about and how you talk. It's how God designed us. So we behold Jesus, we become like him. If we behold our, you know, friends' Facebook feeds, we'll become like that. And so the invitation for us today as we enter into the Psalms is to just take it seriously what we are putting before our eyes. And can I just say personally, like if, if, especially if you're here and you're over 60, like speaking as someone who's a, a little bit younger than you, like we, we, we desperately need older, wise saints, like rooted and grounded in God's word, who, who are not easily offended, who can look at human history and, and with God laugh and scoff full of peace and joy and wisdom. That's the, that's the invitation by managing our attention to allow God to transform us. So we're coming into this series uh, basically during the, the Lenten series, uh, which will start on Ash Wednesday. And I just want to invite you to experiment with a detox. That traditionally, commonly, you know, Christians during the season of Lent will, will pick something to abstain from. Uh, and I like the term detox because most of what is out there is is honestly not good. <laughs> it's not it's not helpful. It's put before you by an algorithm designed to get your attention. And so I just want to invite you to do a detox. You, you decide what this looks like for you, but it's it's an experiment. Like try it because one of the questions we got to ask is like how do how do you feel after you know time on the Fox News app or the CNN app or whatever you know app of choice? How do you feel after? you know, getting lost in the YouTube rabbit hole, you know? Do you feel more at peace and joy? Do you feel more love for your fellow man, more hopeful for God's redemptive work in the world? No, I mean, maybe you've curated your feeds to to the point, but most of us don't, because outrage sells, controversy sells. And so the, the idea is to detox, see what happens inside of you when you cut out some of that stuff. So, you know, you choose your own adventure. Like, maybe now until Easter, you know? Like, which Lent doesn't start until next Wednesday, so you'd, you'd be, get a, you know, a leg up on the Catholics or whatever. But now until Easter, you know, cut out, um, you just cut, cut out, all, you know, anything you don't need to use for work, uh, anything that you use just to, like, when you're bored, you just, I don't know what to do, I'm at a party, don't know what to do, I'm, you know, at the store, I'm, I'm bored, you pull out, just, like, cut any of that out. I don't, I don't know what it is for you. 
but just cut it out. Or maybe just try it for a week and see how you feel. Or maybe like once a week from now until Easter, pick a day and take a 24-hour Sabbath from all like digital stuff and replace it with delight in God's reality time. Like, yes, that can mean, like, taking a pause and, and reading scripture. It can mean replacing, like, political talk radio with, like, a teaching on the Bible or listening to a, an audio Bible or something. Or I also plug this. This book dovetail very nicely with their series through the Psalms. This is on our book table, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. A whole other sermon. Trees aren't in a hurry. I don't have time to talk about it. I really want to. But trees aren't in a hurry. So you could read that. It talks about some of, some of what I'm talking about with attention and also some practices to slow down, be present to God. I re- replace it with a paper book instead of a screen. Mark Large always teases me about the difference between preaching and meddling. Like when you're preaching about someone else's sin, that's preaching. But when I'm talking about you know, your sin, then I'm meddling. <laughs> and I'm realizing I'm probably meddling in all of our lives right now. And I'm sorry. You could take it or leave it. Uh, and if you're happy with your life, you're happy with, you know, your, how your life is working, cheers. God bless. You know, it's, it's good. But if you would like something different, if you'd like to be, if you're curious about what a detox could look like, how it might impact your experience of praying the Psalms, I invite you to try a detox. The goal here, again, to, to, to bring it full circle, is not any kind of like, I don't know, winning or anything like that. The goal is to experience the blessedness Experience the blessedness that God has for us in, in his word. To be like the tree that produces fruit in season. Whereas Psalm 92 that we read together. To be like a tree even in old age produces fruit because it's transplant, transplanted in the, in the house of God. This is the invitation for us. It, it is from experiencing this blessing, experiencing our blessedness with God as his beloved children that we're, we're able to have something to offer the world. While the world is stuck in the rabbit hole, the world is full of fear and outrage and anxiety and broken relationships, we as Christians, blessed by the loving God, can have some love to offer others. That brings us to communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here today. I pray for us in a minute. But as we come forward today, I just want to acknowledge what, what communion is or what it can be for us today, which is this thing given to us by Jesus to draw our attention to, to the center of God's truth, the center of God's reality, which is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that has made a way for us to know him, not as, as, as someone who laughs at, at us and our evil, but instead draws near as a tender father who's taken our evil into himself and paid the penalty for it. And I also think it's so beautiful and profound that Jesus, in this, this remembrance, this like, hey, bring to your attention again and again through the Lord's Supper, uh, is physical. We remember with our mouths, with our hands, as we, and with our bodies as we get up and we walk forward and we take the cracker and we take the juice. So as, as you partake, pray, God, help me to delight in your reality. Let the reality represented in the cracker and the juice be what satisfies my heart. Our tradition here is to come down these side aisles, grab a cracker, and grab a cup of juice, partake there. There's trash cans for the, for the cups. The crackers are gluten-free, if that serves you. And then uh, you can return to your seats either out the aisles or, or up, the, up the middle aisle. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for being a God who calls us to yourself, call us out of 
the way of sinners, the way of mockers, the way of the wicked. You call us out of the way that leads to destruction. And we just acknowledge with Harrison that all of us have been there. All of us have built walls. All of us have rejected you in many ways. And we praise you that in, in your love, you came and found us and rescued us. And Father, for those of us here who feel guilt around how little we desire you, how little we want to talk to you, how drawn we are to the news and football and just anything else but you. Father, would there just be a spirit of grace, a spirit of invitation uh, to cut things out uh, so that we can, we can receive from you? Father, our part is to give you our eyes, to put, put you before our eyes, to delight in your law, to meditate on you day and night, and then you, then you make us like trees. So I pray that would be true for us here at Carl Road Baptist Church as a family. As we come before, uh, come forward together as a church family to partake of the Lord's Supper, Father, draw our attention to the extravagant love Jesus showed us on the cross. May that be what we're rooted and grounded in. In his name, amen.